Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Becky Savage. Becky's two teenage sons, Nick and Jack, accidentally overdosed on a deadly cocktail of alcohol and prescription drugs on the same night in June 2015. Becky and her husband, Mike, turned their unimaginable grief into a powerful message, educating students, parents, lawmakers, and anyone else who will listen about the dangers of prescription drugs. The couple created 525 Foundation. The boys' hockey numbers were 5 and 25, with the goal of preventing another family from experiencing the pain the Savage family still struggles with every day. To date, Becky's bravely shared her story with more than 60,000 high school students from Indiana to Texas to Oregon and presented at conferences across the country. She's spoken to members of the United States Senate Opioid Crisis Committee, serves as an ambassador for the Walgreens It Ends With Us campaign, and participated in countless interviews for podcasts and news media, just like this one. Welcome, Becky. Valka, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. And I, th- I think the work that uh, you're doing is is so, so important. And I'm glad to give that a voice on the show um, because it's, thank you. As, as we both know, not, not really uncommon, um, the, the problems that come from opioids, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not used for their original purpose or sometimes even used for their original purpose, uh, but right. you know, leading to addiction anyway. Um, so let's start uh, just if you could share the story of what happened. Um, I know you've probably shared this story a lot, but I know it never, um, sure. it never becomes commonplace. Um, but yeah. I think, I think it would help listeners to kind of know a little about your family and allow, about what happened with Nick and Jack. Sure. Well, sure. We are from the Midwest. Um, like you said, we're from Indiana and, um, my husband and I have four children, um, four boys who, um, were extremely involved in, in sports. Um, hockey, um, was actually their, their passion, their, um, sport of choice. Um, Nick had just finished, he was my oldest one, and he had just finished his freshman year at Indiana University in Bloomington. And Jack, my second oldest one, who was 18, had just graduated high school um, two weeks previous um, to their passing. And in our community, it's a very, um, I would say, tight-knit community. Um, They go to a fairly large high school. So um, once graduation happens, there's a lot of graduation parties uh, with families and friends celebrating, you know, a milestone. And so um, we were attending graduation parties on June 13th, 
which was a Saturday, um, together. We'd go from one graduation party to the next, um, giving our, our well wishes and congratulating. And um, I left to go home, and my sons went um, to another graduation party. Actually, I think they went to two more after I had left to go home. And um, I told them to be home at a decent hour, and to me that, you know, it's usually around midnight, which they were home about 1230. Checked in with me. I remember being upstairs, um, and I peeked down over the railing and uh, made eye contact with them, and they went into the kitchen and made snacks. The next morning, um, I remember just doing normal household-type chores, walking around the house, um, picking up the kitchen. They had left their mess of bagels out from the night before, and I was up in Jack's room collecting laundry, talking to him. Um, My husband had been out of town with our younger two children. Um, They were up at the lake uh, fishing. So I told Jack as I was talking to him that, you know, it's time to get up. Dad has things he would like help with today. And um, he just continued sleeping. And I remember looking at him, um, which it's still, um, it's still hard to, to think about that. But I remember looking at him and thinking, you know, he, he looks like an angel sleeping there. He's just, you know, a beautiful mm. child, just mm. a wonderful, um, beautiful child. And um, I'm a, I'm a trained nurse. Um, and I remember looking at him and I didn't notice that he was breathing. So I went over there to kind of shake him to kind of wake him up. And um, he was unresponsive. Um, so immediately, you know, I go into nurse mode. Um, I start screaming um, for Nick, um, who I knew had was home as well with a couple of friends. And they um, had slept in our basement that night. And um, I immediately called 911. And I picked up Jack out of his bed and placed him on the floor and started CPR on him. And, you know, in the meanwhile, I'm still hollering for Nick to come, Nick to come. And one of his friends came up, I remember, and, you know, asked what was going on. And, you know, of course, it's just a big blur because I truly had no idea what was going on. Yes. Um, And they went, they let the um, EMTs in and um, they took over the resuscitation attempts on Jack. And I remember, you know, bits and pieces of that morning because it is just, um, you know, something, of course, nobody ever wants to experience. But Incredibly traumatic. Um, yeah. Incredibly, yeah. It's still, um, yeah. But, um, and I remember one of the, um, the paramedics leaving Jack, the resuscitation attempts on Jack, and started heading downstairs. And I remember, you know, hollering at him, like, why are you stop? You know, why are you quitting? You know, don't stop. Jack's a fighter. You know, what, what's going on? Why, why are you stopping? And what I didn't realize is that while I was upstairs um, hollering for Nick to come up, his friends heard me in the basement and went to waken up Nick, and he was in the same condition Jack was in the basement. So they mm-hmm. had called 911 as well. So mm-hmm. the paramedic upstairs then was re- um, responding to that 911 call out of my basement. Um, they both passed that morning, um, June 14th, 2015. And um, when I realized um, what had happened, um, it was obviously a shock for us because our um, our kids, you know, we used to joke that they were rule book threats. You know, um, they'd never had been in trouble for anything before. 
Um, and so this was something that was totally not on our radar that they would even consider experimenting with a prescription medication. And, um, yeah, that was just a, you know, an eye-opener for and sure. And how lethal prescription medications can be, because I know that's lost on a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, the dangers of them. But I was also, as I was, you know, getting familiar with your story, I, I have to say that I was um, putting myself in your shoes a bit. I have three uh, kids. The youngest now is 25. But I recall that if they were uh, out, there was a part of me a little on edge until they came back. But exactly. once they came back, you kind of relax, don't you? And boy, yeah. and you beds, think, yeah. you're just not worried at that point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of the safe part of the day with, with teens, isn't it? Um, it so is. It that is. really stood out to me as well about what you went through, that um, you just would not uh, expect any issue at that time of the day when they're just waking Mm -hmm. up out of sleep for the day. uh, That added to me a layer to your trauma. Yeah, it was, especially with it being something that they never truly did. You know, and now this is almost four years ago in our small community, and I know other communities have probably heard about it, but truly in our community, it was not something that was talked about, prescription drug misuse or abuse. You know, we had the conversations that we are supposed to do as a responsible parent with our kids about, you know, drinking, about illicit drugs, you know, uh, you know, all those kind of talks that you're supposed to have with your kids. And never once did we have that conversation about taking somebody else's prescription pills. Um, we just didn't think we had to, and we didn't know that it was an issue. Right. So, you know, it was a, was a shocker when um, we heard what had happened. Apparently, um, somebody had brought a, a pill bottle of prescription medications that didn't belong to him to a party and was passing them out. And our two kids were um, one of several that um, chose to experiment that night. And um, our two passed away from that experience. The other thing that occurred to me is that, uh, you know, you're you're talking about not really having the story about this problem, and that's true mm-hmm. of a lot of uh, grown-ups, you know. But it's but mm-hmm. it's especially true, probably, of teens. And I I think there might be the feeling that a prescription would not be dangerous. Not realizing that it's the interaction that's dangerous and that they, you know, that they haven't been educated as people uh, taking those medications would be about the dangers Mm -hmm. of the mixture. Sure. And I, um, like I said, I've talked to lots of kids across the country, including um, our own community. And there's always that common um, question that comes up is, well, why are they dangerous if they're prescribed by a doctor? Like they don't, they don't think that prescription medications are dangerous because they're prescribed by a doctor. It's not, they're not getting it from somebody on the street. And so we, we go through and I said, well, they're not dangerous. If they are prescribed for you by your doctor and you take them the way you're supposed to take them, then they're safe. And you know, that you know, they're, 
you know, but if they're not for you and you're not taking them the way they are prescribed or you're mixing them with the different substances, um, then they're not safe and they can be lethal. And, you know, I'm, I'm here to tell you a story. That must come as a shock to lots of kids who probably it have does. already, you know, already tried it. Some of them, uh, and yeah. just were not so and they incredibly. May have. Yeah. It's just, yeah. you know, and like I, I tell them, you know, you, they don't understand because they're not pharmacists either or from the medical profession, but these pills come in different strengths. And so, you know, somebody might have said, well, I had an oxy or tried opiate at the party and I was fine. Well, that might have been, you know, a five or 10 milligram one, not an 80 milligram one. I mean, you don't, they don't understand that there's different strengths of medication. And, and so. that it's kind of luck of the draw in a way too, isn't it? Uh, do you yeah. have, do you have the information on kind of what is considered a dangerous level of Oxycontin to mix with alcohol and how much alcohol and all that? Or is it a little bit no, true, you know, I, true to I the individual? Different for, I think it's true to the individual because Again, and you know, we don't know if somebody who's just, you know, has an allergy to it, you know, and they might be taking something that they have an allergy to and they don't know about it. So, you know, or they, you know, their body might, you know, process the medication different than somebody else's um, body. So, you know, their friend might take it and their friend might be fine and they might take it and they might not be fine. So it just, you know, just. Well, and having depends, and having four sons, uh, I can imagine that, uh, you know, when they came home and you talked with them, they were not mm-hmm. extremely drunk. That no, it's obvious. So it's not no. as if they drank an incredible amount of alcohol or something. And um, we're being carried in. Not would at that all. be true and, to say? And I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm pretty astute to that. Like my husband, I mean, with four sons, I mean, you are, you know, you. That's <laughs> you're you know, aware we laid of up, that we for in, sure. <laughs> and we're aware that that could happen, and um, and that wasn't the case that night. It, you know, it's just I, I keep going back, you know, to that night in my mind, and um, and it wasn't like that at all. I mean, I'm the one who you know asks, you know, the 21 questions. You know, and they're always like, Mom, enough, enough, you know, and you know right. now my other two remaining kids, I ask, you know, the, you know, 42 questions, <laughs> you know, because... <laughs> we'll get to that later, because I really want to talk about then how you parent two more sons, you know, um, mm-hmm. with without, uh, we're almost, it's almost time for a break, we'll probably come back to that after sure. the break, but, you know, the, the impact on, on siblings, first of all, losing their siblings, but then how you then parent them which without, you know, just extreme terror, you know. Um, yeah, it's so hard, but, yeah. But certainly, I'm sure, more caution, uh, if that's possible, you know. It sounds like you were very cautious parents. And I'm going into this at some depth for a few reasons. One, because I, I don't like to bypass the losses we have and the grief we feel. But, but second, mm-hmm. because... Um, I think there are all these denials that kids have. And so Mm -hmm. it seems important to kind of go into detail about how not at risk your sons appeared to be and Mm -hmm. um, that no one would have uh, chosen them, if you, if you will. No, 
um, to be in this no, kind of danger. No, it's a stigma. Yeah, that's we, you know, we use them a lot in our community and statewide, actually, as the face of kind of breaking the stigma um, because they're not um, people that you would look at and say, oh, they're druggies or they're going to do, a, you know, they're going to do drugs or whatever. This right. is an epidemic that you can't put a face to. It affects every, I mean, it can affect anybody. Right. And, and, um, and I think that's a, I, a kind of self-protective thing, too. Like, it won't be us. <laughs> you know, right. uh, that happens in all right. kinds of losses. I work in cancer a lot. Same thing. Oh, they got it because they did this or that or the other or didn't do this, that or the other. So I won't get it is the is this kind of sentence that doesn't get added, but I think is implicit. Right. Um, right. It won't happen I to agree. me. Yeah. So then. Yeah, we're um, working hard at breaking that. And. You know, I'm, I, you know, like I said, I am a nurse and I've worked in uh, healthcare for a long time and I've worked with people in excruciating pain. And I believe there is, a, a, you know, a time and a place for pain medication. And I'm not against pain medication. Um, but I am for educating and bringing awareness to when it becomes when you misuse and abuse um, and for safe disposal of that medication. And I know that's a slippery slope. For instance, um, I had a sister-in-law who got injured at work. She was a a tech in a hospital. She got injured at work and um, needed pain medication for sure. But she really uh, couldn't ever then get off of it. It kind of took her energy so far down. And she died ostensibly of a heart attack, but I think that um, OxyContin was very much implicated in what happened with her. So even when it is, you know, the only thing to do, there are still such dangers. And um, that's a whole separate topic, but uh, I felt it needed to be mentioned. So it's time for Mm -hmm. our first break. Uh, And we'll come back to talking about your sons uh, after the break. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Also, just a reminder that there's a link to buy my novel, An Ocean Between Them, about a mother and daughter and uh, the healing that they bring to their relationship. Uh, That's right at the top of my page there if you would like to uh, read my book. And to find Becky Savage and the 525 Foundation, go to 525foundation.org. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Everything is energy. It's all connected. Your energy can be seen as the foundation for your life and impacts all areas of living. Do you realize that your thoughts have the power to affect how you show up? Tune in for Healthy Energy with Margo, featuring host Margo Nielsen. Margo and her guests will show you that connecting to your energy is vital to your health, relationships, money, and more. Listen live every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We got the power to change the world. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. 
Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Becky Savage. Two of her four sons, Nick and Jack, died after experimenting with prescription drugs and alcohol. She founded the 525 Foundation to educate, inform, reduce the chance that another family will have to go through what her family has. And before the break, Becky, um, I was... I was imagining uh, out loud the kind of impact it has on parenting your other two sons. Of of course, the impact on them just of losing their brothers, but also the okay. impact on you as parents of um, having that happen. To and to the two who you might have thought, "Oh, good, we've kind of gotten them through. They're headed to college or in college," you know. Uh, mm-hmm. what has that been like for their brothers? Well, and again, we're, we're no expert on this. We are just figuring it out day to day, like, um, millions of other people across the country are doing. Um, we, he's a sophomore and my other son is a freshman in high school now. And, you know, we, we still talk about it all the time, um, talk about them, not the event um, that took their life, but we talk about Nick and Jack a lot, um, which I think is important. Um, it's not a taboo in our house. I think it's so important um, that we do talk about them because they are still a big um, portion of our heart. And um, I think they struggle, um, you know, from time to time, which is okay. Like, I, I you know, we it's okay to have bad days. I, I still have bad days. Absolutely. Um, you're allowed to have bad days. Um, but we, we I, I, you know, we talk about it. I think the lines of communication are open where um, if they want to talk, they can. If they just say, I need to go into my room, I just need a break, that's fine too. Um, but I think that has been um, a struggle. I know, um, you know, of course you get angry um, at the beginning, you know, because how could, you know, they do this and, um, For sure. I think now, 
it's it, we've kind of worked through the anger and are more um, to the stage of acceptance and um, just trying to figure out where we go from from there. So I know, think like you're I saying today, something, today. Becky. I think you're saying something important there too, which is that. Um, it's it would be natural to have those feelings of anger uh, mm-hmm. and you just have to leave some room for them until they they kind of um, become less prominent on their own yes yeah yes. I don't know how you would bypass that really um, when you, you have such because yeah I, I get I you know have had you know anger you know like it's like you know you think how could, how could they do this? You know, why would they do this? And, you know, we've talked to other um, survivors, um, family members who are still around, who have lost a loved one. Um, you know, we're the ones that are left with a lifetime of grief and a lifetime of misery, you know, related to somebody else's actions. And that's hard, you know. Um, but I think it's important to label that and to recognize that Um, but also, you know, we forgive them because we love them, you know, and it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. And I I can hear in what you're talking about too, that, um, you have a pretty, uh, full understanding of how that can happen. Having talked to, is it 60,000 high school students now? Um, which, which I can imagine, uh, you know, at some moments has made it really clear how kids think about it when they're, when they're taking a risk like that. Um, they do. Uh, and so, the knowledge gaps that are identified in talking to the kids, um, there is a knowledge gap. And even talking with parents and educators, there's a knowledge gap like, just, you know, last year I was um, in another state talking and there were 3,000 students in the room and, uh, you know, a lot of their community members and they were like, wait, people take prescriptions out of other people's cabin. They they take them if they're not prescribed out of it. Like they couldn't grasp the concept that people are taking prescription medications um, not the way they were intended or like kids were bringing them to parties. And I'm like, yes, they are. Um, this is happening, but, and um, then I thought, this is how we were in our community, you know, almost four years ago, we were, had that knowledge gap. And I think that's kind of what my mission is, is to open that, you know, the doors so that there isn't that gap to, to bridge that. So it was aware of the dangers that can be out there. Um, I think if people are aware, then maybe that cuts back on some of the dangers that, sure. You know, could be out there. Yeah, well, I'm I'm thinking, for instance, you know, my when my wife was dying, this was back, she died in 95, but at the time I had a 14-year-old. I also had a younger mm-hmm. child. And there were all kinds of drugs around our house, as you mm-hmm. can imagine. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, so it's not hard to picture. I mean, it's a rather accessible. We lock the cabinets when we've got toddlers, but do we lock the medicine cabinet? Typically not. So I can imagine right. that it's not um, it's not far fetched to think that kids wanting to be cool and bring the cool thing would end up at parties with their parents' prescriptions, for instance. Mm-hmm. 
And there's a big percentage, and I don't know it exactly, but it's 70 plus um, percentage of kids who try a prescription medication for the first time that have, are misusing it and, and, you know, like that doesn't belong to them have gotten it from either a friend or a family member, which is huge. Huge. Um, so it's not even a, a kind of, um, as it were, black market on drugs. It's just uh, opportunistic in a way. And in, in their mind, they think it's safe because it came from a physician. So right. we're just, you know, like our foundation is just all about telling a real story, what happened to our family, and that trying to put a face that this can happen to anybody. And we also talk a lot about being responsible with your medications. If you need a pain medication or any kind of prescription medication to make sure that you are mindful of where it's at and that you you store them properly, lock them up if you have to. Um, And when you're done with them, that you dispose of them properly. You know, we've put several permanent drop boxes here in our community because we had, I think, one of them, but it was located at a police station way downtown. So we put three of them in a location that most people frequent quite often, which is the grocery store. Mm. And we've had such a success with that program. Um, hundreds, I mean, I, we're probably over a thousand pounds of pills that have been collected just in our community. Wow. And here. pills don't weigh very much. No. <laughs> so that's and a, if you think that's about, very notable. Yeah. Well, and if you think about how much one pill weighs and that potentially one pill could take somebody's life, that is potentially a lot of lives that could be saved. Very, very so, substantial. But let's back up a little because getting from the kind of depth of grief that I'm, I know you're experiencing as a family and trying to navigate continuing family life. Uh, I noticed on mm-hmm. your website, there's kind of a, a picture before they died and the next year, a picture without them, um, which had mm-hmm. a lot of impact on me. But within that time, it doesn't seem like it was very long before you were speaking publicly. Can you say how the foundation came to be and how you sure. found it in in yourself to uh, do such a public thing so soon after losing them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, they, we were contacted about a year after um, the boys had passed. Um, obviously, through that first year, we had a lot of media and people wanted to talk with us, but we we didn't do any interviews or anything just because we are very personal, um, you know, private people. And we just were, you know, obviously still, we still are to this day grieving, but I mean, at that point, you're just still trying to get up and function um, during the day. But we doing a town hall um, that was related with underage drinking and wanted to know if we um, could participate in that. And my husband and I talked about it, and we thought, well, Nick and Jack, you know, they were um, underage drinking, so I guess this would play into um, what they were doing. Um, And we thought it was just real important that, you know what, their story is not going to end the way that it ended on June 14, 2015. Their story is going to have an impact on our community, and they're going to make a difference because I know they would have made a positive impact had they still been here. So that was kind of our driving force, that they're still going to make an impact on our community. So we mm-hmm. decided um, that, yes, we would we would talk. And 
we were told there would be maybe 12 to 15 people max that would probably show up. And um, we went, and there were over 200 people that packed this auditorium, and we were just shocked. A, that there were so many people that I had to talk in front of, and I I was not at that point a public speaker and did not talk in front of people. And B, it just really resonated that, oh, my gosh, there is a room full of all these people who are just their parents that were terrified something like this would happen to them because they could connect with, with our family in some fashion, some, you know, any, some way. And I think that was kind of our turning point that we thought, wow, if we can impact these 200 families or 200 people and their families and they can go home and tell the story of Nick and Jack and maybe have that conversation with their kid and maybe lock up their money, you know, what a difference we can make. And then it was just kind of a snowball effect from there. Um, local schools started calling us, and that was our driving factor, that every crowd I talked to, there's going to be a Nick or a Jack out in that audience, and that was my goal is to make an impact on those two kids. And if more kids were impacted by their story, then that would be a good thing, a win-win. So that's just kind of how we got started. It wasn't... Like, we're going to go out and do this. You know, it was just kind of a a snowball effect once we started publicly talking about the story. You know, that's pretty familiar to me, too, from interviewing, I don't know, 280 different people in the last five years uh, about grief and what comes out of it, that there's less of this sort of linear feeling about it and more like one thing leads to another. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe we could call it more of an intuitive process or something, but you never would have maybe sat down and said, let's start a foundation. But one thing led to another and it led you there. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's when one point you just, you're sitting there and you're, you know, for me anyway, I'm like, I, I can sit and be lost and consumed by grief for the rest of my life and bang my head up against a wall in a corner somewhere, or I can turn around and walk out of this corner and do something about this. And that is, you know, do something in their name um, where they they live on. And that's kind of what was the kicking point. Like, I'm not doing anybody any good, not doing them any good, not doing my other kids any good, not doing our family any good by being consumed by grief nonstop. And I just, I think that was just a mental thing for me. Like I just, we, you know, we now don't get me wrong. We still have moments of grief. We, I mean, we're, every of day course we have grief. I, I liked something you said on your website that it's, it's more like a part of you and you don't try to imagine that you could get rid of it. It's just now also happening while you're doing just, this work. Yeah, it's it's something that you carry with you every day. Some days you can disguise it or hide it better than other days, and some and some days you don't have the energy to cover it up. But it's you always have it with you. It's it's a part of who we are now and a part of who we will always be. And um, it was just well, yeah. I could imagine Becky. And this may just be (laughs) projection in a way from my own experience, but I know that um, 
I I really really value this this hour for for instance, and it's always Thank an you. hour where I'm making contact with my grief, but also what has come out of it. So I could imagine those times when you're speaking or doing something else with your foundation are um, more what do I want to say more redeemed or you know it's a way that you've kept your relationship with them uh, I think people mm-hmm. imagine that touching our grief is always a bad thing but for me that's not true it's kind of an really honoring also like yeah but it that you put it in words like that that makes sense and that that is a way. It's a way of honoring them and still being with them. Um, and Having yeah, other that people is a know way their of- names. I was just talking recently with a guest who, who um, named a center, a hospice center for kids that she started after her two brothers who had died. And, mm-hmm. and we were talking about how their names are always being spoken every day um, and That's, how meaningful that yeah. is. Um, I don't know if that's true for you, but uh, I could imagine. Yeah, it. I could see where that, yeah. You know, I nothing is better for me than after I've gone and talked with a group of students, then afterwards, the amount of feedback I get from the students. You know, I, I don't get many questions when I, I talk just because I think they're still in shock of what we're saying and what we're, we're, we're talked about. And I tell their story um, and not a lot of kids will ask questions plus they, you know, don't really want to ask in front of their peers. But afterwards, um, I get messages um, that are sent to me and, you know, it makes me, you know, like how I, you know, touch them and they're going to make better choices or that they've talked to their parent who's struggling or, you know, it's just starting those conversations. Like we're like, we're the fire starter and we're yes. helping them. And that to me is there's nothing better than knowing that we've made a difference or touched really made a difference. Absolutely. It's time for our second break. So uh, what I want to talk about when we get back, Becky, is really what all the different things that your foundation does, because um, it's very moving uh, all the ways you've found to impact um, the big one being talking to high school students, but several others. So let's talk about that more deeply when we get back. And sure. listeners, listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringrief.com. You can go to the Good Grief host page to find links to everything I do. And then to find Becky Savage and the 525 mm-hmm. Foundation, go to 525foundation.org. Back soon. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today, with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. 
relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Becky Savage, who founded the 525 Foundation uh, to address um, opioid misuse um, as a result of her teen sons both dying. And uh, I want to really delve into the foundation itself. Uh, We were talking in a way about breadcrumbs in the last segment, how you kind of follow... uh, you know, you do one thing, it leads to the next, it leads to the next. I know that after you started speaking in this way, you did at some point um, speak to a Senate committee on opioid um, misuse and addiction. And um, that seemed important to me. I'm not sure what came from that committee, but the idea that that um, the Senate heard this story, this experience that your family's um, been, you know, dropped into seemed notable to me. But let's talk about how one thing led to the next and now what your foundation, what the different things it does are. Sure. Um, well, we, like I said, we had started, you know, had our first town hall meeting and that kind of opened the doors for other um, speaking engagements um, to the youth in our own community, um, speaking at different high schools, um, and basically just sharing our story um, and showing showing pictures of who Nick and Jack were um, and what they did. And it can always those pictures can always connect with somebody out in the crowd. And then um, we talk about um, what happened. And you know we we've been doing that, which is is wonderful, and I love speaking with the kids. Um, and then that just kind of led to um, us being invited to speak on um, the Megan Kelly show, um, Today Show. And we went to New York and spoke there and got a lot of um, requests after we were um, on her show airing. And so that kind of opened the doors for us to go um, across the country to tell Nick and Jack's story and um, who they were and and what happened to them. 
And then I got an email um, that I was invited um, to speak in front of um, the Senate to just tell our story, to put a face to um, the opioid um, epidemic. And um, that's what we did. And that was just a a wonderful experience. Um, The senators um, that we got to meet afterwards and the impact that I feel like we had on them afterwards um, was was amazing. We've got several notes from different um, senators about how our story impacted them and, um, you know, their, their kind of call to action um, as a, in relation to our story. So that was, that was a neat, a neat experience there. So we've had a lot of opportunities um, and we always like to go and do whatever we can as much as we can. Cause I figure many people if I can get in front of and talk to, hopefully we can um, help with that ripple effect. That's that's your mission now, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm really aware that it's probably relevant that you are an, a medically trained person. Uh, you know, you sort of speak with authority from a lot of different sides here. Um, yeah. Even what brought um, you to this was, of course, personal grief. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's. Um, I would say that you know. My medical training um, does help because I understand a lot um, of what's out there related to pain management um, and opioids and different medications and things like that. Um, But you still also have that monkey on your back as being a medical professional. Why didn't I talk to my kids about that? You know, like that, still that struggle, you know, but. The the sort of what if aspect of grief. Mm -hmm. Isn't it that um, we we would like to feel we could have, I think, uh, made an impact if we if we'd known some things just are so out of our I, control, that, which that's yeah I think the most kind of hard to deal things with. Are things, yeah, things we don't know about, I think, are what the most dangerous things are. Um, Absolutely, and we can't we know can. what we don't know, can we? <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, that's true. So I know that you do the speaking at at high schools, which is I'm imagining the biggest part of what you do at 525. Um, yeah, and then uh, you also mentioned just briefly that you um, you got going some drop centers for expired medications or me- medications no longer in use. Um, yeah, I, I I wish that would uh, spread out. That's a little Well, we're hoping project. to, yeah. We just started um, this program um, where we partnered with a local grocery store, Martin Supermarket, here in our area, and um, we talked to them, you know, about what our, our vision was, and they were right on board with it. We, you know, we um, put permanent drop boxes. The biggest complaint we hear in communities that we go to is that there's not really places for safe disposal. So they'll um, they'll keep the medications because they're not sure what to do with them. They know they shouldn't flush them down the toilet, but they're not quite sure what to do with them. So originally we started with having um, drop box or drop locations where on a Saturday every you know every three or four months we would partner with local other coalitions and we would have a safe place where people could just drive through a fire department or a police station and drop off their little baggies full of all their medications 
and dispose of, and we would, um, the drug task force would take them and dispose of them, which is great. Um, and we still continue to do that. But we needed something where people, as they're thinking of something or they finish their medication um, or they get a prescription change, that they can go drop it off. And I thought, what a better place than in a grocery store where you're there all the time anyway, usually. So we something started that doesn't put people stop. out of their way, huh? Yeah, you're going there anyway, and it's conveniently located in the front of the store. So truly, if that's all you were going to the grocery store to do was to drop off your medications, it would be convenient. You don't have to wait in line or anything. But you know, it's drop to stop, which you know we put a number two in our logo, which is representative of the two lives that we've lost. Um, but it's you know drop to stop, you know unnecessary deaths drop to stop the opioid epidemic in your community. You know, that it could just go on and on. And um, we're really proud of um, of that program because it's really taken off here in our community. And we've had interest from other communities wanting to put um, those boxes in their community. Um, and so it's, you know, again, it's another legacy of love that we're, you know, kind of creating in, in memory of Nick and Jack. I was also really surprised to, uh, I, I watched the video that you produced with Walgreens, and I was quite mm. surprised that a place that, you know, makes its money, let's say, on prescriptions, on medications, uh, a good percentage of pharmacy income, uh, actually partnered with you. Uh, it, is it called the It Ends With Us campaign? Yes, as in the name of yes. the show today. Yeah, uh, that yeah. seemed really notable. How did that come about? You know, again, that um, was another. Um, they had heard about our story, and um, they reached out to us, and Walgreens was an incredible partner to partner with. They are very um, driven um, with educating um, the community on, the, you know, they're not against taking medications away from people. They are for safe disposal. And, um yeah, that was a, a really um, impactful program that they have going where they have drop boxes in a lot of their look. I think over a thousand Walgreens locations across the country have free disposal drop box locations in their Walgreens stores. So that is, um, that's awesome. That's really good to know about. Uh, I have never noticed one in my local Walgreens, but, uh, and of course that wouldn't um, have anything to do with with them filling prescriptions, that's about no. getting rid of the ones that are defunct, isn't it? So yeah, I can see right. that it wouldn't put them offering. in some kind of business uh, conflict or anything. Um, no. It kind of, it, it kind of goes along with responsible management, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's just offering their customers a safe disposal um, place um, that they can bring their medications. And what I'm finding is that everywhere we go, Everybody wants to get involved and be a part of the solution, but they don't know what to do. Like, what can we do? I, that's a lot of questions I get to. What can I do? I want to yes. help. What can I do? And the number one thing I always tell people is when you go home, go look and clean out your medicine cabinet. That is one thing that we can all do and safely dispose of those medications that are no longer needed. And we'll never know the impact that just that small action could have in our community. But you know very deeply and personally that it will have an impact, um, you it know, will. because had yes. had those drugs not been at that party, your life would be totally different. 
totally different. So I, I can imagine that that really does. Um, you can imagine the kids that that could be impacting, and that must be incredibly rewarding, actually. Um, it is. You know, to, and I to know you're a part of that in such a profound way. Yeah. Well, and selfishly, again, I'm, I'm thinking of my other two kids. I don't want this to be something that they're faced with. You know, I want to help fight this epidemic and fight, you know, things and educate people so that they have a good world, you know, and, and a safe place to to continue on. I mean, just thinking that, that makes they so may much be sense. But then I can also imagine the possibility of this is so real to them. Um, mm-hmm. it, it seems hard to imagine that they would experiment in quite the same ways, um, having gone through this experience themselves. Would you, would you say right. that's true? I would say I, I would love to, ho- you know, think that's true. You'd love I mean, to you ne- yeah. never know. Yes. As we all would. You know, I just, again, it's that for your parent um, heartstring that you just, you, pr- you do a lot of um, praying and you do a lot of talking um, almost to your blue in the face, um, but you just hope that at some point, at some point, the spaghetti sticks on the wall, you know, yes. um, and that who they're hanging around with, their friends, you know, I'm very, we're, they're, I'm very open with their friends, and um, we talk about good choices all the time, and, um, but you just never know, you just never, you never know. Yeah, I, I, one of my favorite um uh, researchers about adolescence, which apparently is from 12 to 24, according to him, is Dan <laughs> oh, Siegel. And he says, uh, kids don't do this stuff because they think they're immortal. They do it because uh, the most important business of that time in life is fitting in, you know, is, is having a yeah. community of peers. And that makes so much sense to me. So then if you change the community of peers and how they think about this stuff, uh, it it automatically um, contributes to a bit to better outcomes. So mm-hmm. that's to me the work you're profoundly doing is changing that um, social context that our kids are in, uh, so that this isn't even something that they want to do. Um, yeah, I, I hope so. I hope we are able to. Um, just continue to impact and, and, and make a difference just by sharing, you know, our story of, of grief and loss. And um, I, I hope by touching that um, emotional cord in the students that I talk to, that that will trigger um, something that if they're ever approached with this, that they'll make a better choice because they remember. Yes, you know, we just have a couple of minutes left, and uh, one thing I like is to bring a little detail of reality about the persons, in this case, persons that you've lost into it. I wonder if there's something that stands out about, you know, you've said they were hockey players, they were athletic. Mm-hmm. I'm also uh, well aware that they had personalities, <laughs> you know, and yeah, uh, because everyone does. Uh is there something you could share just in a minute or so about about who they were? 
I'd like to contribute to oh, keeping them alive. <laughs> yeah, I, um, you know, Nick. I, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about Nick is his smile. Um, I really, I, I miss his smile and his. Um, he just always had a smile on his face. Nick was very kind, soft-spoken, um, and never heard him talk bad about anybody. Um, mm-hmm. Just was always inclusive with his friends and even people that weren't his friends. Um, just an all-around, um, easygoing, fun-loving person. Um, loved to fish. Uh, loved uh, spending uh, evenings around the campfire up at the lake and just having family time. Nick was a, a family kind of kid. Mm. And Jack. I didn't. Was, uh-huh. We have like Jack about was kind 15 of seconds. Firecracker. <laughs> okay. Well, Jack was our firecracker. Um, uh-huh. It was full of life as well. And. Um, just an all-around uh, adventurous kid, um, loving kid, great friend. Um, they were basically um, a, a good combination. The two of them together was a good a, a dynamic duo, huh? I really want to thank you for being with me today, and I'm glad to bring them alive for just a a few seconds here. I know there's so much more we could say, but thank you for being here. Uh, Next week, I'll have Sally Tisdale to talk about her book, Advice for Future Corpses and Those Who Love Them, A Practical Perspective on Death and Dying. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.